0: Christmas cakes are good for the farm shop. Brilliant, Doncaster. By the way, your show's great.
1: Don't, don't, don't. what I want y'all to do for me. Don't believe the hype. Don't, don't believe the, don't believe the I'll, I'll. Just me.
2: Hear me know. All fruits ripe. Shake the grape tree. A grape is there for you and me. One love. One love. One love. One love. One
1: love. nice round of applause.
3: You're tuned into All Fruits Right podcast, a discussion about the environment. Series one, episode eleven, with Jessica Sweden, the founding director of Synchronicity Earth, the organisation funding conservation that works. If you're enjoying our podcasts, please help us share far and wide. Tune in to us on iTunes, Spotify, or Mixcloud, and then follow the All Fruits Right podcast Instagram. Yo. We're back, all fruits ripe, and we're back in the Lion Room with my good friend Adam Hiley, music producer in the Unit 137 South System crew.
0: How's it going, Ads? I'm good. I'm good. Apart from having a trap nerve, I'm actually, yeah, really well. And um, yeah, uh, happy to be here. And... uh, (laughs) In the studio with us is
3: Jessica Sweden from Synchronous the Earth
4: Hello How's it going Jess? Yeah, great, thank you Fantastic to be here
3: Yeah, it's great to have you here It took us a while to get you here uh, We had no. uh, we had a few, we, we almost got you in last year And then there was, you were away and we're away And we found another person as busy as us ads <laughs> Yeah For real yeah, true. <laughs> So Jessica, um, yeah, I'm super interested to inform the audience as to what Synchronicity Earth is because we know each other for a long time now uh, or what feels like a long time mm-hmm. in the creative world anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we've done lots of projects together. If you're following me on social media on the Louis Masai, then it means that you've probably seen me talking about Synchronicity Earth at some point. So what is Synchronicity Earth?
4: Synchronicity Earth is an organization that I started with my husband almost 10 years ago now as a response to the lack of coordinated funding going into conservation. And so for us, it was a way in which we could try to make more sense of the threats that we're facing, the natural world and in particular the loss of biodiversity, which of course is all life on Earth. Um, And if it was a bit of an experiment in the sense that we felt that if we could make sense of it for ourselves, we could also offer a service for others to try to help guide them towards really meaningful programs and projects working around the world that would be beneficial to all of us. Um, So restoring, regenerating, Landscapes and ecosystems, and also protecting and bringing back from the brink threatened species. We tend to work now in areas that are the kind of what we call the lost and forgotten species and areas, so the things that are off the radar of most people. Um, so, really, the underfunded and under supported species and areas. So, we're in Congo Basin, freshwater biodiversity, the high in the deep seas. Uh, Asian species, things that are really essential to a global whole of of biodiversity in nature, but that are often forgotten.
3: So I I heard you say you're an organization. Is that do you call yourself that like, to shy away from the word charity, or are you a charity, or are you yeah. not a charity, or no, what is the difference, yeah, or is there a difference yeah. even?
4: No, that's a good question. We are, there is a difference, and we are a charity. I think because I am sort of the founder, and it came off the back of many years of doing philanthropy, it was for us a philanthropic gesture, so it was the best way forward for us to do more. Um, so yes, we are a charity, a registered UK charity, but we have a philanthropic input, so we have uh, the core costs of our, well, the yeah the core costs of our of our organization are pretty much underwritten. By our philanthropic relationship with the charity.
3: What does that mean exactly? It means that we're
4: funded by. Um, uh, so, my husband and I set up a foundation when we were 20, <laughs> right out of college. So, right oh. when we were about 23, 24. It had so, a few just yesterday? Yeah, just yesterday.
2: <laughs> <sighs> Over
4: half my life ago, uh, we set up a foundation, which was basically. Uh, it had different iterations in the beginning, and, every, and then eventually it became linked to his business, and yeah. the business offers uh, a, f- a percentage of their profits from one of the funds, and that is the funding that goes into this foundation that I then, for years and years and years, allocated across the globe to really interesting programs and projects and All kinds of things, not just environmental, but I worked with a ton of artists and education programs and all sorts of healthcare pieces, lots of scholarships, building schools, helping in eye clinics. I mean, the gamut really of...
3: So although Synchronous the Earth is 10 years, the idea of what Jessica Sweden does and Adam, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and what Adam does with you is far greater than the 10 years of Synchronous the Earth. So So. for me, it
4: has a longer...
3: right. Oh, that's a longer narrative I never knew to that. it,
4: yeah, so for me i've just been doing philanthropy my ha- more than half well probably my whole life in so yeah. many ways i'm a I'm a serial giver i can't help myself yeah. but uh, yeah, so for me, synchronous to earth is the latest incarnation of that, and it's bigger than me now, which right. so in the ten years, you know we now have a robust team of fifteen. You know, I'm not running it. I'm there doing lots of things and engaging and building networks and working with people like you on the creative side of things and trying to get the word out there and trying to inspire more people to care about these issues. But the organization and the functionality of the organization, the charity is much bigger
3: than me. Hmm. That's really interesting. That's something I want to talk with you quite extensively is this idea of what I guess I call it a family or a tribe but Mm -hmm. like it's as you put it an organization Mm -hmm. It's the interconnection and the collaboration between different people like artists and scientists and so on and how all that comes together Um, but I think that let's spin a track first and then we can chew into that because I think that's quite a nice big chunk of conversation to have and I'm super interested to know that and I think the audience would be as well because you know the idea of this podcast at the end of the day is to try and influence people to become a part of this global conversation about what conservation mm-hmm. is and about preserving the planet and so on. So Great. should we chew into a track ads? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um we've got the Peter Gabriel track which huh. Jessica chose. I forgot what it's called now. Which was the track you went for? <laughs> I don't
4: know. I <laughs> you gave you so many, up? I don't know which one you chose. Uh, yeah. You told me it was a surprise.
3: okay, so <laughs> I will have to um inform you about which one that one is after we played it because I forgot to check first but uh and we will I guess we'll ask you why you chose it when okay. we know which one it was because I forgot which one it was as well now
4: <laughs> it did take us a while to get into it did. together
3: yeah it was it was complicated to find these uh, tracks for Jessica yeah. but yeah it was good fun okay let's get into it
0: Thanks for bringing um, that choice, Peter Gabriel, um, to to the mix. We haven't had anything like that before. And it, it's, it's good because now I've, I mean, we're just talking about different things that Peter Gabriel has done over his career, not just in music, but it sounds like he was quite an activist as well. And that always really interests me as well. You know, just how, I don't know, people, creatives and how much that, I don't know it's it's quite a real person really when people are doing that you know like when they're when they're they're thinking because music and creative arts and any type of art is is something that really does connect with a vibration and an energy and like um something that a lot of current pop music definitely doesn't go near and you can see that that is someone who is a true special being when they're you know, and, and somebody who's probably very true to his music and it sounds like he collaborated a lot and liked working with people and made that a big part of his career. So fair play, Peter Gabriel, and keep doing what you're doing, man, because it sounds like you're a G. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, we, we, uh, we definitely... Ads and I never really knew so much about Peter Gabriel. By the way, the name of the track is Come Talk To Me. And, uh, yeah, we, we've learnt a lot in that. Seven minutes or eight minutes, however long that track was about Peter Gabriel and how much of like Ad says a G is. <laughs> well, <laughs> and yeah. he set
0: up WOMAD, which is one of my favourite music festivals. So yeah, and um, I've forgotten the name of his studio, but he set up a studio that was dedicated later in his life to recording lots of different world, world music. Real and, world studio. And, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
4: Yeah, I mean, for me, he. It was music that was accessible to me as a young person that then also kind of opened up this other world of sound, I think. So he started to bring in instruments that I had never heard. I mean, for sure, his voice and everything about his lyrics capture my imagination and my spirit, and they totally resonate with me. But then something about the other sounds were really provocative and alluring, and I think they helped kind of begin to give me a global context. So growing up, you know in the East coast states and like suburbia, they, you know, it it was this kind of gateway into another place that cultivated my imagination and, Mm. and just was inspiring. And so for me, and the other thing with him is that he's such an incredible collaborator. And Mm. I feel like I learned just by listening and watching and just, you know, observing what he was doing, not, consciously like a stalker, but just sort of unconsciously in, in appreciation of what you do with artists, to your point, Adam, um, just recognized that there was something quite powerful about working with other people who might not be like you at all and might come from a completely different context. And obviously, I mean, I think, you know, that's why I'm here today is right. because that's how I met you, Louis, you know, was meeting you in the context of wanting to tell stories around conservation, global conservation, but bringing it home here to London so that it wasn't so, you know, things that were happening on the other side of the world were also happening here. And the first project we did together, you know, with This Is Now was you painting threatened species all Mm. over London and creating, you know, marrying these different worlds together. And so for me, that collaborative spirit and like you were hinting at as well, working with artists and creatives to tell stories in different ways beyond the context to how you might normally hear them is essential for the work that I do, you know, with regard to the environment and environmental awareness and getting more people involved.
3: Yeah, well, that leads really nicely into what I wanted to talk about at the end of the last little section before we got into Peter Gabriel's track was this idea of how you do collaborate and the different people who are part of I mean, the family. And yeah. so we've, you've identified that you work with artists and myself. But, um, well, first of all, what other artists have you worked with? Yeah. Because there's, there is a big list. And yeah. how do you <laughs> think up those artists? And I think you said even before Synchronicity was born, like, you were already working with artists. And so what's your place in the art industry? And, like, how do you, what's that buzz that you feel off mm. artists?
4: I mean, I studied art. So my background is actually okay. philosophy and art. Um, and I, many moons ago, did a lot more art than I do now, and I'm actually really itching to do art now. It's come. I think it's the time has come back. But I, so for me, art is one of my vocabularies. Okay. Um, and so it was a, working with artists in that way has been a totally natural process. The, when we first set up Synchronicity in 1994, the original idea was that we wanted to support emerging artists and that was our intention and then just emerging just emerging artists, just emerging artists so it was stop. nothing to do nothing with like to the do environment with anything or, else okay. other than
3: and that was still called synchronicity it was art. called the
4: synchronicity foundation okay yeah <laughs> uh we wanted to work with artists that we felt had an incredible idea or voice that were in the art world which is notorious for complexity being really are know, we
3: talking about visual art purely all or artists all, arts, all all art all creative visionary Mm -hmm. okay cool
4: and so for us it was working with people who had really interesting ideas who we just felt we could support to get out there so even if it was just small donations or whatever it was or just literally matchmaking how could we help these voices find a, a greater platform um we then worked with quite a few, but realized actually that we, you know, the com- competing with the sort of gallery circuit, the music industry, you know, that wasn't really what we wanted to do. But actually what we started to feel was that the our interest ag- grew and, and developed and a lot of the projects that we ended up h- helping and supporting, in a way it fe- felt like we were always supporting the artist within. So even if it was in the context of... You know, thinking of even Peter Gabriel here with South Africa, where my hu- you know, where my husband's from, and we spent quite a lot of time. We were living there, and we were that we then started to support. Um, Sorry
3: about this, the sound though, of the uh, the drill. <laughs> we are in like a big old studio warehouse space, and uh, sometimes just people, adding dimension. Sometimes people are just busy doing their building work. Yeah. <laughs> I think Ads has just gone to go and ask him to, to kill it for a minute. But, um.
4: Um, but yeah, so for us, it's, you know, even if we want, when we were supporting programs that were helping, you know, kids in the townships with antiretrovirals for AIDS, there was something creative about the project that was the way that it was set up felt like it had an artistic integrity. And by that, I mean, you know, so, I mean, experiential, experimental, not risk adverse, challenging social norms, putting new ideas out there. So for me, those are core values right. that started in the beginning that developed through our long track record and history of of being involved um, in different kinds of projects.
3: And I so I guess that's essentially why the art is so important with yeah. like the work that synchronicity yeah. earth is doing because right. it's pursuing something that started at the beginning yeah so yeah that yeah. well it makes a hell of a lot of sense yeah. but, uh, i've always wondered how you were so unique in that you <laughs> get it <laughs> and it always amazes me how few NGOs and charity-based people just don't really quite get that mm. the art world is so powerful. It's
4: so powerful. Yeah. I mean, these issues that we're dealing with are so complicated and we need to feel our way through them and I think art in whichever format, music, visual, sculptural, whatever, written, poetry, yeah. helps us feel, it helps us emote and it doesn't it helps unblock some of those you know i feel at the moment there's so much holding ourselves together you know we're just trying to keep it together or at least that sort of feels like the common energetic value at the Mm -hmm. moment is just keep it together just get through the day just survive just succeed you know whatever that means for each person but art helps us unlock that and live more openly and Mm -hmm. more intuitively and I think for these issues around the environment in particular where there is so much existential risk that we don't even understand art can help us negotiate that Um, and you, uh, you said, you know, which other artists you asked, which other artists we've Mm. worked with. I mean, it's been quite a range, you know, we've, we've worked with everyone from yourself to, uh, Alice Shirley, who's done a ton. She's an incredible illustrator, um, amazing photographer, and then other more well-known artists like Marcus Coates and... Um, Dan Holdsworth and even Andy Goldsworthy have kind of we've had conversations with them about various things so quite a range.
3: And so outside of the arts like synchronicity works obviously with this sort of the brains I don't want to say that art isn't brain but it kind of feels like it's the the visual representation mm. of what's happening so the other side of the mixing bowl is like the the science and the education yeah. and the, the sort of the facts that go behind what the discussion is and so how do you uh, associate who you're going to team up with when mm. it comes to scientists and the sort of the heavy information that comes from this whole world yeah how do you work that out
4: so our origin I mean the way that we got started when we were trying to exactly that figure out where to begin because it was sort of okay now we have this entire (laughs) sphere of need that we have to somehow address and so the first step was to was making the decision to focus on biodiversity because all those years ago the handful of scientists that were before we go any further yeah.
3: please explain what biodiversity okay, so is because bi- I know so many people
4: yeah that's why I mentioned earlier sort of what I call you know life on earth but yeah. biodiversity is really absolutely every living thing that exists so it's flora plants and fauna animals all invertebrates, bees and butterflies and dragonflies, uh, and you know trees, uh, mollusks, fungi, mushrooms.
3: So it's what the general public might call an ecosystem. Is it-, it?
4: The ecosystem is the is the way you think about the whole connectivity of functioning life on Earth. So biodiversity is individual pieces, all the species combined, I suppose. Right. Okay. Um, but so it's the diversity of the biological world. So the biological diversity is basically okay. what it is and what our kind of what we are in our humble, small <laughs> contribution to this space trying to help do is to cultivate flourishing biodiversity and cultural diversity. You know, so for us, it's about the, the possibility of the more abundance, the more the more abundant life that we have, the more viable our earth and our life within it is so we are trying to help save and protect species for ex- for example that like amphibians you know this mass this species that lives across the world pretty much in every locale except for the poles and it's in 40 i think it's 40% decline and they're an indicator of the health and well-being of freshwater systems and also terrestrial systems. And nobody cares about frogs. Very, very few people care about frogs. There's a major disease Why that's do you think threatening that. Is? that in, I think, well...
3: Because I hear a lot from a lot of different yeah. people from the same world as yeah. yourself. And I don't have any dislike for amphibians and reptiles, but I know that a lot of people do. So is
4: I think they're just... I don't know I mean I you know I'm the wrong person to ask the question because I think they're adorable I mean I think they're really charismatic and they have all the qualities and
0: I mean do you have a fear of them or I, I personally don't but I know people who do like I know people who have phobias of spiders or have phobias of snakes Snakes, I'm not. I'll be. I'll admit, I'm a little I bit nervous. I mean, nervous, nervous but
4: nervous is yeah, fine. You still want idea. them to live.
0: Yeah, right? yeah I mean, <laughs> that's it. And but they are dangerous. I don't think so, we value
4: them. I don't think we understand what their place is, or that they need to have a place. Well,
0: or... um, my girlfriend um, is from Zambia. She grew up in Zambia, so she has a very different connection with snakes than I do. A lot of my experiences of snakes mm. were in when i was growing up seeing them in zoos or, yeah. or things like that so i guess for her it was actually like a real thing like snakes killed her dog wow. um like a number of dogs um actually uh <laughs> and generally what happened is that you kill a snake or you even the dog kills a snake i don't know i mean it it just seems like culturally it, for them it for somebody who's growing up in a country like that, where there are snakes. I mean, someone who maybe grew up in Australia, it'd be, a, be a, a similar thing. I don't know. But for for me, I mean, it. I guess, yeah, I mean, it goes pretty deep, doesn't it? Because like there are so many of us human beings living on this planet and we're not working with nature. We're kind of working against nature. A lot of people are um, and we're kind of taking over the world in, in that way. Um,
4: And we're also being very selective about which nature we want to work with. True. As opposed to sort of, so for me, I'm kind of a love-all, serve-all sort of person. Mm. So for me, the thought of, well, first of all, I don't know what the functioning, I don't know what the level of function would be without some of these creatures like various amphibians would Mm. be. You know, we don't, so for me, it's sort of, they're there for a reason. Beyond whether or not I love them or not they still have a part to play
3: Mm. that that, just just to quickly interject i think that that's such a fascinating discussion in its own right and we don't have to dwell on it but this idea of reason like why does anything have to even have a reason like it's here because it's here end of story and Mm. as humans we want to justify it and people always say things like why is a mosquito here
2: yeah to like, kill humans.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> to eat
0: you. Mm, 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 mm. Anyway, back to what you were saying, Jessica. Didn't mean to interrupt. That's no, but, that, but that's, that's an important point to say, you know, because it's that mentality of a lot of people within this world. They We're, we're at the top. Yeah. But we're not at the top. No. We're only at the top because, we've
3: you know, of all these there.
0: industries and, and things that we've created. But really, nature is at the top. And we are part of that biodiversity ecosystem you know and I think we really have to sort of take ourselves a little bit back and go okay this is what is really going on but I don't know that's what we're trying to push I guess and and well one of the things and um well we seem to
4: be at a place at the moment where one of the biggest threats to biological and I would say even cultural diversity is monoculture. So it's the opposite, right? It's the opposite of diversity. It's the singularity of idea, the singularity of high street, the, you know, the, the options that we have. We were talking before we got started today about the record stores and that if you don't actually go and shop in a, in a shop, it will no longer exist in a couple of years. Hmm. So the fact, you know, so these so it's about working and continuing this culture of, of having all of these different possibilities of whether it's lots of different life forms or cultural art forms and you know human beings in general. But at the moment, we, it feels as though we're in this place of heightened monoculturalism of art. Everything, Mm. And so for me, that is my, that's kind of what I feel like if I'm fighting against is, you know, the limitation of ideas, the limitation of, of, of just possibilities. And I think for me, that's again, well, we haven't really talked about synchronicity as a concept, but that is why we're called synchronicity. Because for me, that's, that's about creating possibilities, creating space for possibilities to exist. And that's an inherent value that I take with me. In the work that I do, you know, so that we have a multitude of possibilities that, you know, that we can draw upon that create our culture and that create our fabric of life and that create, you know, variety. I mean, I would just assume not be here if there wasn't variety. And I don't know what it is about so many people that I know now these days that are just terrified of difference. I don't get it. It's something that's been beaten out of us. But, you know, for me, I'm holding on to it in my own way because I just feel like that's what gives us life force.
0: Especially in somewhere like London. Yeah. You know, I think it's important to embrace that difference. Yeah. And be part of that difference.
2: Yeah.
0: Should we get into our next record? Yeah. 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 um, You've got something for us, haven't you? Yeah. So um, we released our first album. So we've been running our record label since 2012. Nice um and last year in april we released our debut album unfortunately the whole the whole album didn't reach vinyl but um what i did is um i made some exclusive presses that were all individually cut to records so i was going to play one of those tracks it's a little 10 inch record it's it's just been stamped by me um it's a track that's made by A friend of mine who i share our studio with um, his artist's name is sleepy time ghost um some of you might know him some of the listeners but um yeah he's part of unit 137 family and this is one of the instrumental sort of dub cuts of of the original track that was by a vocalist called kosher and the original is called priestess and warrior and talks about lots of things to do with with how important women are in this world and um Yeah, and kind of highlighting, yeah, lots of things around that. But that's not the song I want to play. I'm going to play the (laughs) intro because I don't have that song on vinyl. I would play that song, but unfortunately, we've only got a selection of the tracks on vinyl, and we only play vinyl on this show. Yeah. So yeah. Sometimes it's a blessing. Sometimes it's yeah. Sometimes Sometimes it's a blessing. Sometimes it makes life difficult. (laughs) Sometimes it makes it makes life difficult, and sometimes. If you you know if you can't get the song on vinyl, it it can be frustrating as well because you know sometimes I just like to play vinyl when I DJ and, yeah. and things like that because you do have a different type of sound quality mm. with a with a vinyl record to the digital world that we live in. So here's to biodiversity keeping, of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah biodiversity exactly. of music. <laughs> it's important. Yeah. Cool. So let's run it.
3: This one adds Wicked Track again. Always Thanks. from the Unit 137 family. Good so vibes. far, yeah. Every track. Has every been track has been. How from, long can you keep that going, though?
0: I don't know. I'm going to have to listen back to the old podcast and work out where we're at. But we've done about 12 releases on vinyl, maybe. Yeah, 12 to date. But there's obviously lots of versions, and well, and you're gonna have to start producing some more stuff on vinyl. Just to yeah, that no, podcast. I'm actually gonna do that. I'm actually gonna do that. I'm gonna um soon. I'm just gonna cause I'm doing a lot more music now. Um, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna start putting some stuff onto vinyl that's not released and okay doing that kind of thing. But
3: so let's get back into this incredibly interesting conversation we've been having. Something I found really well. One of the things. First of all, guys. Go onto the Synchronicity Earth website, click on the newsletter, keep in contact with Jessica and uh, the team because even if you're not in a position to financially be able to support uh, a charity, a charity can support you and the support that comes from a charity is in the format of... Uh, newsletters um, and then that way you'll learn about some of the things I've been doing with Synchronicity Earth and the other artists, other musicians, scientists but it also gives you like a little gateway into information which could actually nurture some of the concerns and worries that you have as an individual and I know that a lot of the people are listening to our podcasts um, come to me and ask me what do you think about this, what do you think about that and one of the most topical things at the moment is of course drumroll palm oil. (laughs) so i'm obviously on the newsletter with synchronicity earth it wouldn't be any other way Mm -hmm. um and um i got my newsletter at the end of last year and it seemed to time ever so well with my current frustration with palm oil because there was a whole interjection about palm oil and how well let's get jessica back into the picture and i guess uh my question is what brought this topic to you uh how do you feel about it uh and have you got any kind of advice to our listeners about what to do about this conundrum and how we sit as a current um part of the supply chain
4: yeah well it's that's a really great way to phrase it because we do sit as a part of the supply chain and so of course there's always the consumer choice and i think maybe just for those who aren't aware of palm oil it's uh a, it's oil palm it's a it's a crop that we've monocropped which is really a really useful binding agent should we just
3: very very quickly just identify very clearly what monocropping yeah. is because yeah. i think a lot of people may be so it's a that crop is.
4: that that replicates very quickly grows very quickly and that in many cases in particular places like indonesia and through parts of you know quite substantially through africa as well and South America, where we literally cut down rainforest, um, old growth rainforest in order to grow plantation style oil palm, which grows very fast, can be harvested very effectively, and is incredibly useful as a binding agent in many of our foodstuffs, including things like shampoo, peanut butter, a whole, you know almost everything that you can think of that you chocolate, buy in a chocolate in a chocolate, tube. chocolate, chocolate.
3: <laughs> do you love chocolate, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh
4: yeah so many things that we consume you'll find some form of oil palm or palm oil inside of it so from a consumer perspective it is something that we can be much much more um thoughtful about what we're purchasing. So we do have a purchase power. Now, it's controversial, uh, I suppose, in the sense that it's one of these things where, so I can say this from the perspective of one of the projects that we support out in the Malaysian part of Borneo, called Hutan, which I went out to about three and a half years ago to visit, to see the orangutan. Which, for me, was one of the main reasons we started to focus on conservation in the first place. And so the plight of the orangutan is largely due to these oil palm plantations literally cropping up because it's cheap and fast, and uh, and it's they're destroying, you know, so much forest for it. What I learned while I was there was that actually, the people that were working on regenerating the landscapes, replanting, trees by trees, so a diverse tree so multitude of different kinds of of natural forests that should be in those areas to create to recreate forest for animals like the orangutan it was that they're not necessarily against the concept of oil palm plantations if they keep maintaining the same land so in but the point being that they shouldn't be ever cutting down more forest for Oil palm. We have to we have to keep what's intact now. Our old growth forests are disappearing, f- largely for this reason, and also for cattle and beef in South America in particular. But we really need to maintain the old growth forest that we still have. And so, they recognize that if it's not if it's not oil palm, prior, you know, prior to oil palm, it was rubber plantations. Prior to that, it was forest for, you know, for wood. Our wood stuffs, there's still lots of wood pulping going on uh, for, you know, forest fibers for clothing and also for uh, paper products. So there's always going to be something. And, you know, I don't think we're magically going to stop these processes at this point in time because we have so much industry around them. But if we can stop losing more forest for the sake of them and just, you know, kind of get that into a, a... maintenance, you know, maintain that level of what we're actually producing, then there's a possibility that we could actually live with both. You know, so there's something also called sustainable palm oil. So this is where the different uh, palm oil plantations, the owners are working towards also either maintaining some sort of biodiversity within their landscapes or else they're giving back or providing land to other areas that can then be reforested but that they're following a certain code of ethics with regard to how they're maintaining their land and how they're also in some cases just allowing corridors so that wildlife can pass through forest elephants and others that are on you know that are moving through it can actually pass through these landscapes so that they're not just completely divided
3: so sustainable palm oil is Sustainable is that I mean, it's not just a faux pas, is it? It's not just, I mean, it is, it it is,
4: yeah, it it is. There's still complexity to it, and like everything, there's those who are claiming that it's sustainable where maybe they shouldn't, and others that are probably better. So, the metrics and mechanisms with which we value these things and which they're you know, the criteria that they're set against, there are some that are better than others and you know what we can do is put a list together and attach it to this podcast so that those listening would have you yeah, know we should definitely do that. something like that cuz I'm not going to be able to tell you yeah, of off the bat but you know there there with everything there's always layers to it so it's just about knowing you Know what are we talking about? So, RSPO is the you know round table for sustainable palm oil. So, by so and large, quickly, there, yeah, what
3: is a round table? A
4: round table
3: no, no, it is sounds literally cliche, a group,
4: is a table where yeah. it's like the knights of their own table where people come together and from different constituencies and they discuss these aspects of you know, so they're buying into setting the criteria for what sustainable palm oil is.
3: So, I guess there would be a round table to fair trade or organic yeah. or so on and so forth
4: or an equivalent.
3: Yeah. Right. Okay.
4: But yeah, so it's, you know, there's certainly complexity to it. It's not perfect, but it's better than not having it, but there's certainly a ways to go as well. I mean, I think for the average consumer, the best thing to try to do is to not purchase aspect, you know, to not purchase products that have palm oil in it and to search out the ones that have sustainable palm oil while, you know, right now that's the, the best thing that we can do mm. you know but because it, it is a major a major driver for deforestation globally
3: and what's your thoughts then in parallel to that about the whole boycotting palm oil do you think that this is something that people should be jumping on or leave alone or
4: i mean it's you know i'm not an extremist so for me personally i feel like those who want to boycott it if that's how they feel is the best approach then Great. I think there I think the reality is is that palm oil is the most useful element that we found, that that you know that manufacturers have found for creating these types of products that we've become very reliant upon now. We could certainly cut our consumer habits enormously to counter that, which I think would probably be the biggest help that we could we you know that we could add to it. But I do feel as though, boy, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's it's going to stay. And I think that even people working on the ground in these areas that have been so degraded by oil palm plantations also recognize that they, you know, it's not going anywhere. So they have to figure out how to work with it. You know, a lot of these conversations, you know, conservation isn't this, it, it, it can't just be this sacred place that doesn't have these com Plex conversations with external businesses. And I think conservation as an as a whole enterprise has gotten much more uh, efficient and beneficial to a greater whole as it's started to unpack these conversations and started to, you know, go across into the land of business and open up these doors for conversation. In the same way, you know, we were just chatting about you know, the ad that, that the little, uh, the Iceland. Iceland ad that came out, um, it was sort of over the December period. It was actually out quite a lot in the autumn. I saw it early mm. Greenpeace put it out and it was, it's a brilliant cart, you know, sort of cartoon ad with Emma Thompson, I believe doing the voiceover mm. and it reached, you know, a huge wide you know, spectrum of people. And then Iceland, somehow, I suppose, working with Greenpeace, got the rights to use it as their Christmas ad and it got banned.
2: Right.
4: You know, why? Well, you know, because it's controversial, I suppose, but it was a beautiful, really inspiring little piece of work that was done um, that obviously, you know, pushed the buttons of the right people.
3: It really does identify that there is like a very strong governance over how we're allowed to conduct ourselves and how companies are allowed to comply with regulations and rules and so on. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean... It was a very sad moment, I think, that when that got removed
0: yeah. from... It's going, it's going on like a level of stopping freedom of speech, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I yeah. think it's ridiculous. Yeah. You so. can still watch it, though, on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Which means but, that they yeah. probably
3: created more curiosity about it and yeah. therefore more people have seen yeah. it. So,
0: yeah, hopefully the marketing of you know the whole thing about any news is you know kind of good news in a way in terms of promotion and stuff hopefully that helped but at the same time television is a great way of like getting out messages to people because so many people are glued to their their black mirrors um (laughs) so you know it's like i just think it's it's kind of like all it is is that somebody's losing out i mean what you know really like and you're just talking about money i mean why else did it get banned right I don't know. Do, can you guys think of another reason why it would have got banned? I mean, it's a pretty important point.
4: Well, especially to have been put out by a business, you know, by a large yeah. business, and then yeah, because it's it's making a statement that that the whole industry isn't ready to accept. And
0: well, they already know.
4: Well, they already know, but they're not really they're not ready to publicly accept, I suppose. I mean, I don't know exact, the exact rationale behind it. True. I mean, I think yeah. it's, it it's, yeah, there's sometimes there's this feeling of when one, so if you take the whole sort of food systems piece or you look at all of the, you know, all the major, you know, shopping suppliers, you know, Marks and Spencer and Waitrose and Little and uh, as, you know, it's sort of, are they, do they have to all do the same thing together? Or can one be a pioneer? And I think in this instance, Iceland was being a bit of a pioneer. Yeah,
3: they totally are. I mean, they've stocking more vegan food yeah. now. They've, I think, they've got a vow to remove the plastic. It's yeah. like, but yeah. in at the same time, I'm so glad that it's Iceland doing it because yeah. Iceland is it has the reach. well, it has the reach to the more general exactly. population because exactly. it's the easy, ready-made food, and it's like cheaper it's more affordable that is the general consensus of the public and therefore it's going to get a much greater reach which Mm. is you know that kind of links straight back into why you like working with artists to raise the issues that
0: you're talking about as an organization so Mm. I mean it's also on the flip side of that it's like what are the intentions of Iceland as well you know like I mean I mean we're talking about it in the last episode about the Mc, the vegan and all of these kind of things that are like a kind of a little bit trendy in a way mm-hmm. which is great it's in ve- one ve- way vegan january now
2: yeah yeah vegan yeah
0: veganuary, <laughs> veganuary we are we are in right now because it's january because it's january <laughs> <laughs> makes sense <laughs> um and you've got to clean yourself yep. after like
3: all of that indulgence of what with me animal right at your uh after January, After Christmas. oh right, so I like, thought yeah. you meant when it's February. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe they'll
0: coin February like Meat error. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, could never say bad. February, Let's right? Anyway, it. so <laughs> no, but it's like no, but 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 my point is, is that there are organisations like Synchronicity Earth, which are real, you know, and there's other people out there which are real, and they're doing what they're doing. And there's passion and there's like proper like life within it. And that's what it's about. But then it's like the opposite of that to me is like Ronald McDonald and all of these stores all over the world that are now doing something that's environmentally friendly. And and it's a great way to promote your business.
2: But
0: same way, I don't really know if that's what their intentions are or like, I don't know, man. We could talk about this stuff, obviously, in a lot of depth, but.
4: The point is, is that it has to happen. We have to evolve. So if that is one, you know, if that pioneering attempt helps draw a much wider conversation about it to a much bigger audience than brilliant, you know, and they, I think their intentions seemingly are pretty decent at the moment considering how they're trying to vet their supply chain. You know, that is a huge process. It's a massive, massive process to to clear out all of the food uh, stuff that go into, you know,
0: yeah. the different items. Especially that. the scale there, right? Yeah,
4: it's massive. So it takes time. And I think that's the other thing is, is that all of these things take time. And so these little attempts of veganuary or whatever these micro attempts are, are useful to keep. These ideas out there whilst we're working on the deeper, longer term picture yeah. of real change that's taking place and has to take place. And for sure, these big businesses know that they have to clean up their supply chains, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because they actually will be out of business if they don't. You know, mm-hmm. We're reaching that sort of breaking point now with regard to our consumer levels and literally what's available and what it means in terms of you know, how much supply we actually have that if we don't start cleaning it up, you know, things like fresh water, where's it going to come from? <laughs> you yeah. know, so we, ha- we have to be more mindful and thoughtful in all of these processes. So, you know, it's always what you're hoping for and what you can't believe at the same time when organ- you know, when businesses like Iceland make these leaps, it's kind of like who, wait, what them, you know, but on the other hand, fantastic, so that's a start, you know. It's part. It's part of all of these little things are chipping away at the same block, and I think it's great to have it from from my perspective of where we're working. It's great to see it happening, kind of across the sector, across the broader spectrum of of business, which is really really encouraging.
3: So I guess like um, the sort of resolution to to all of that is as a consumer just to be a bit more considerate about what you're purchasing and what you're buying and guys it's not just about your palm oil it's also about your soy and it's about your corn and it's about um well it's just everything that you are picking up and buying we've talked about plastic before and so i think that that's the the sort of the end goal isn't it as Mm. i mean it's going to be tackled in many different ways some people want to boycott some people want want to have a revolution and we'll touch on that in a minute with something else i want to talk about but um i think that as a general member of the public i think the thing i'm learning as a a being is don't guilt trip yourself Mm -hmm. um you're human and you're allowed to make mistakes but just be aware and conscious of what your mistake is and how much your mistake has a knock-on effect and if you can reduce the knock-on effect then that is so much more proactive Mm. and productive than just putting your head in the soil and forgetting Mm. about it Mm -hmm. um so yeah On that note Let's play another track Let's play a track Because we need to have some fun times now (laughs) So uh, I've chosen Tony Allen And it's called Black Voices Uh, I don't know if you know much about Tony Mm -hmm. Allen So it's my turn to pass on some music boffness But um, I'm not going to profess to be a Tony Allen expert But uh, I've known about him for a while Uh, It's Afrobeat uh, Which is a fusion of African music And that's such a broad term, but um, the musical instruments that are culturally associated with African music, and then a more sort of European music of jazz and the fusion of all of that. Um, And so Tony Allen, a little bit like Peter Gabriel, is a composer, and he collaborates with lots of people. Um, And I think that I think you all identified that it's uh, it's an awesome track, and I've been buying a lot of Tony Allen recently. Uh, Really thoroughly enjoying working through his uh, huge selection of music, so yeah, let's spend that track.
4: Wayden, founder of
3: Synchronicity Earth, and you're listening to All Fruits Ripe right podcast. Thanks for that, Louis. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, big Tony, lover of Tony Allen.
0: Yeah. Amazing musician, um, and great cover art yeah. as well. Interesting with the photography and. Right. So I'm
3: really, really interested to know what your personal opinion is with a very current thing that's happening at the moment. Again, it's another current thing. And it's something that we were thinking about talking about with Gav and I think we probably forgot to. Yeah. So let's talk about it with Jessica. Mm -hmm. Um, Protest. Mm -hmm. And obviously, currently, we're having like a revolution almost of what is called uh, the extinction protest. Rebellion. Rebellion. Um, How do you... I mean, from a personal perspective i'm not convinced by it mm-hmm. i think that the core of what they're talking about i couldn't be more in appraise and more in support but i just worry are we going to by projecting that kind of energy are we actually turning people against the extinction crisis mm-hmm. or are we gaining more troops so to speak so yeah. what's your thoughts
4: Almost exactly resonates with yours. Uh, it's interesting because I knew you were going to ask me before I
3: came. <laughs> I was
4: like, I bet you Louis is going to ask me about the Extinction Rebellion. And it's something that I'm grappling with actually yeah. as well. I'm on, and I mentioned just before the last song, I mentioned, you know, I'm not an extremist in that regard. Yeah. It's not a natural habitat for me. That said, I think there's value of it happening. I think it's important to shine a light on these serious issues like extinction and to bring it into the public consciousness yet again in a different way. And it's a little bit like we, you know, I, I do believe in sort of a a range of different ideas, like we were just saying before as well, where you need different people pulling on different threads of the Mm. same problem, because none of these issues that we're facing have one solution to them. They're all way too complicated for that. So I, you know, it's almost like they're a ball of lots of threads. And, you know, some, the, the re, you know, the rebellious protesters have to pull on one to highlight it. Business has to be working on another level. Conservation needs to be working in another level. Individuals have different needs. And so for me, it's, I think it's important. It's not how I would personally use my time. I'm following it very closely. I know quite a few people who are involved with it. And they're helping more from the support staff sort of perspective in terms of trying to make sure that they are as articulate as possible and not ostracizing others so that they have the longest value or the greatest value achieved. Um, I, I think they've been loose with some of their allegations with regard to places like, you know, where I, you know, that I hold dear in conservation, organizations that they say aren't doing enough, aren't hitting the mark, which I think is unfair to a degree, because I think it's much more complicated than that. I think, so I guess for me, I feel like they have a place but I'm not convinced either. I'm not convinced that they've got it all together. I think that they're Mm. slightly dangerous in some of their negativity. And to your point, putting it out, putting that kind of negativity out there, whilst I think is important in terms of a protest concept, the negative part of it is maybe not the best articulation of what we might need, which is more of a for me, more of a optimistic, not for the sake of just, it's all going to be fine, glossy-eyed, you know, just f- it's going to take care of itself perspective, but from a, there's so much good that is happening that if we can actually focus on the examples that we know where good protest is working, organizations like Greenpeace, who we've already mentioned, and others who are pulling on the strings in very specific ways, you know, where there's excellent conservation happening on the ground, there just needs to be a lot more of it going on. We have many examples of good v- things happening, but we need to elevate
3: them. No, I wholeheartedly agree with you there. Totally. And and think it's also, it's, um, it's important that, like you say, that there is like this, link back to this word biodiversity, but there is a biodiversity of the way in which we approach and like, deal with like an issue and extinction is very topical at the moment um
4: well and they're helping bring that they are helping bring it out you know it isn't something that a lot of people are necessarily thinking
3: of well i was just going to say that uh i can't think i mean every project i do which is not just a self-initiated project so all the projects i've done with you Mm. we try and get the media to pay attention and we you know we work with the pr team and occasionally it gets picked up and occasionally it doesn't and more often than not it doesn't because it's it's not pissing anyone off mm-hmm. and so well this is my interpretation mm-hmm. of it and so a protest blocks a road people can't get across the road or the bridge mm-hmm. people get annoyed all of a sudden, there's something to talk about because it's negative mm-hmm. and the media likes to pick up on a negative energy mm-hmm. so it's got it into the media probably more successfully and consistently than mm. the things that i've been working on and so a little bit of frustration comes from myself there because i'm looking at it from a positive perspective yeah. and it's only being talked about through a negative, negative perspective yeah. and yeah there needs to be the yang to the ying and the ying to the yang because otherwise this Ag- biodiversity of the conversation is not being had in the I- media agree yeah so
4: agree which you know yeah i mean so again, I feel like it has a place. I just feel like it needs, I think what it's doing is it's focusing people like ourselves who are saying, okay, well, what are they doing that we haven't done? Or how can we, a little bit like the whole plastics thing, how it's just kind of created you know, a whole narrative around it. And a lot of movement has happened off the back of a lot of different things correlating together that just happened to be sparked by Blue Planet, you know, which was mm. great. So what is this Extinction Rebellion at this point in time? I mean, there's a long history to it. You know, there's a lot of people who have been deeply concerned about this for a very long time that have been working almost in isolation of each other, that have come together. You know, and I was even asked to be a part of it in a way, you know, and I was like, this is not the way I move, so it's Mm. not for me. I'm playing this role over here, but I do feel like there's something about it which, if I, my hope for the, for the, for the rebellion, is that it will be open-minded to c- critique, so that it can hon- keep getting better at what it's doing, and start to realize that actually, some of the blatant statements it's making about certain things are maybe not actually helpful to the whole space that they're trying to help uh, back and support. Um, because that's just butting heads against each other and in, uh, in ostracizing a space that's just finally coming back together again after so long. And so for mm. me, it's kind of like, oh, don't pit us against each other, because actually that's not helpful. Mm. Let's find those conversational points within it.
3: OK, that's <laughs> uh, wise words from Jessica Sweden there. I'm definitely on board with how you're thinking about that. Mm. Um, so what's next? what are the next big projects for Synchronicity Earth? I mean, like, I know that you work with, like, your annual strategies. Yeah. And I'm sure that, like, you're already deep inside them because, well, we're halfway through January now. Yeah. So what are we... Yeah, what's what are, coming on What's like? coming in the newsletters to come?
4: <laughs> More, I mean, so going deeper into the programs that we're working on, some of which I mentioned before, we're also doing quite a lot with ape conservation. We have an ape fund. Um, we're going to be launching a Southeast Asian species portfolio or program, um, which again, a whole range of different species that are completely under threat. So for us, finding great projects on the ground, curating them, monitoring and evaluating their work and then bringing that to the fore into a much wider audience is really how we work um that we're going into our 10th year as an organization which is slightly mind-boggling so Wait, we are what month
3: does that happen next
4: november yeah november so it's exciting it's also feels like we're you know we're growing up so for me this year is really about our positioning so a lot of these things even things like the extinction rebellion are useful to us not in a utilitarian perspective but in a help just in a in a framing perspective, uh, in terms of the word extinction is out there. It's something that people are thinking about now, which they might not have thought of before. Mm. Um, and we have a place, we, we we actually have a really important role to play in helping stop extinctions because of the partners that we support. Yep. So we're the kind of yin to their yang in a way. Mm. Uh, so for us, it's gonna be about positioning Synchronicity Earth as that organization. Full stop that is really trying to, you know, f- focus on these critical areas for species and ecosystems that are off the radar for most people, where there's so much good work being done, and that we just need to do much more of it and highlighting it. So, yeah, more of the same, but more robust, I suppose.
3: Cool. Yeah. And I think. Just the one last thing before we get into the remix of your track, unless Adam's got something else, is we've worked on projects together. Mm. How many is it now? We've done This Is Now. Then we did the Coral. Then we did we kind of did the tour together yeah.
4: really. Yeah, we did. <laughs>
3: um and then which was the Art of Being. Yeah. And then we did um The ZSL. The ZSL project, which was last summer.
4: Yeah.
3: So which is which about was conservation. Great thanks oh, i went yeah yeah you did didn't you <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. so my question is kind of like uh again like shedding the questions i get asked <laughs> is why and how and what is the knock-on effect i mean we're not gonna we could go on for hours yeah. like talking about that but i guess just to sum it up what is the evolution of the message that you as an organization are spreading and how what are the knock-on effects to how working with an artist like me on these projects does mm. for the conservation and the continuation of the message?
4: Yeah, great question. Uh, it's a complicated one because mm. there's no direct impact, which of course, course what is what everybody is looking Once. for. Yeah. There <laughs> is no golden, oh, you know, like it, there is a long-term value that gets put into the world, to the energetic system with all of this incredible art being done for these reasons and for these species and things. So for us, I mean, I think as I sort of said in the beginning, you know, this value, this core value of working with people who are able to express and articulate complicated ideas in different ways. So the fact of the matter was, is when we met, you know, you were already doing this for all the right reasons anyway. And it was sort of love at first sight because it was like, how can you possibly exist? You know, you're working on these species that no one else is thinking about because you cared. And you did this incredible amount of research with every piece, with every species or animal or whatever it was that you were painting because you wanted to understand it. And so the integrity that you have within the way that you work matched the way that we like to work. And so for me, that pairing was just, you know, it was such a natural one. I, I just know that from a long sort of looking at it retrospectively that it's helped, working together with you has helped us articulate some of these values, which continuously people tell me are really unusual for a conservation charity so it's it's a way in which we can we can talk about being inspired using creativity taking risks doing things differently trying a different approach all of these things which i think we've embedded into our organization but then it's also you know the long tail of of who sees those murals at the london zoo we had a year with the coral, which I wish had been so much longer because it was such an incredible piece. And it felt like we had this mini marine protected area in the middle of Shortage mm. for a year, uh, which was spectacular.
3: You know, it lives on now in Bristol. I painted it. I know. Yeah, I know. It gets is a amazing. lot of attention. Now yeah. Now. And the thing that I added there, which was missing in our one, the is heart. the plastic.
4: Oh, right. Of course. Because I painted yeah. in the plastic yeah. bag and that's, yeah, that's what right. people are yeah. bouncing
3: off. Yeah, the most. Mm.
4: that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, so for me, it's really a long-term cultural... It's a bit of an experiment, but we know that it has a resonant value. I just... I'm not able to tell you the number of Mm. X that it...
3: There isn't a statistic to it, but it's an understanding, isn't it? Yeah. You just know that people are communicating with each other about a topic that perhaps wouldn't have done in the first place. Exactly. that's there because there's a visual representation of the conversation and that's
0: kind of what art is about
4: and bringing it home
0: yeah
3: you got any questions or anything to add ads
0: well i mean we're kind of coming up to the end of the podcast um i've been listening a lot this podcast and it's been really interesting and i hope it's been really interesting for all of you listeners out there and everyone supporting what what we're doing and more power to you jessica and um i hope everything goes the way you want For 2019 and beyond, and
4: thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you, you. and you know, same to you, Lou. Same to you, Ed, You're gonna make me cry. I, I feel um,
3: like
0: crying. Yeah, yeah, that's a big a group hug
3: at the end. <laughs> Everyone, find someone, give them a hug, tell them you yeah, love them, tell them she loves them. them. Love them. Yeah, tell, yeah, because you know what, it is all part of it. It's Keep like energy. One love,
0: it one love. It is one love. That's true.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah,
0: it's energy because we're all connected. You know, to everything. We're all, we're, yeah, that's that's it. But that's what we we're saying when we we're listening to the Tony Allen tune. We touched on it briefly about how you know. There's levels of communication that we don't know how to listen to sometimes. And maybe we don't know how to communicate all the time. But for me, what art does is it can connect that on that subconscious mm-hmm. level exactly. um, and on a conscious level and on so many other levels. And maybe we don't know how we take it in, but it's very, very holistic for us as, as part of this world that art and culture continues and continues to spread a positive message and everything that you're doing and that I'm doing and the people I work with and what you're doing and the people, you know. So let's just keep, let's just make it happen mm. as everyone else should make it happen, you know. Yeah. More power to everyone out there. Okay, and appropriately,
3: this album here, which is the remix of Jessica's Peter Gabriel track, is what well, the album's called... If I'm not mistaken, scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Yeah. So that kind of like wraps up everything. As <laughs> was just saying there, really. And um, actually, it's really quite cool because it's again to reiterate Peter Gabriel's collaborative power, and he's got his tracks, and they've been reworked by current musicians, or well, not always current, but mm-hmm. just reworked, and then he's then. Uh, reworking one of their tracks so it's a very nice kind of like uh compilation album to to have come out and um so we've got the obviously uh the track that peter gabriel wrote and that's been done now by bon Iver or bon Iver. we're not really (laughs) quite sure how we pronounce it but that's who it's by so let's spin it and Thank you so much, Jessica, for Thank coming you. through. And big ups to the whole Synchronicity Earth uh, family, uh, the well, you're three, part of it. Seven family. I definitely feel part of it. You are a part of it. I definitely. I'm. I'm there with you. Yes.
4: <laughs> and now, you're a part of it too.
3: Thank you, Adam's <laughs> in as well. Well, you might need a cue sound system.
4: I probably will one day.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: let's shake. Let's shake up the you let's know get the, the floor
3: tree. The frequencies <laughs> and stuff. You know,
0: <laughs> just make some air move. Yeah All right, let's spin in. All right,
3: bless up.
2: I feel my way to the slowest sea.
0: been listening to the All Fruits Right podcast with myself Hailu, DJ, producer, engineer and founder of Unit 137 Sound System and visual artist Louis Masai. We need your help. If you have enjoyed this All Fruits Right podcast, please share it far and wide. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, Mixcloud and check out our Instagram account All Fruits Right podcast. Until next time.